This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Youth Baseball Talk. Only on lineupmedia.fm. Now your host, Jim Cromer. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Youth Baseball Talk, brought to you by The Rope Trainer. And as John Smoltz says, everyone should have one from big leaguers to little leaguers. So make sure you check out theropetrainer.com today. See what the gang, Earl Perrin, Chris Vernon, John Smoltz have in store for you with this uh, revolutionary training aid uh, tool to prevent arm injuries, to assist in the prevention of arm injuries, of course. Uh, when used correctly and used, uh, whether it be in training or the warm-up process or just finding a way to save those bullets for the arm, the rope trainer is definitely something you need to take into consideration when arming your son or daughter, especially with the new softball trainer. Uh, it's, it's what you want to arm them with in their fight and struggle to stay healthy because that's kind of what it's become sometimes as a fight and a struggle. And I think everybody's looking for that consistency and something that will work to assist their player and in, in staying healthy, and the rope trainer definitely takes it into consideration. That's really what it was developed for, and again, I can't thank Earl Perrin, Chris Verna, and John Smoltz for wanting to be a part of Youth Baseball Talk. Uh, can't forget their friend and yours, Kirk McNabb from Dirtbag Baseball Nation as well. as He does a great job of bringing you the rope trainer uh, report, which he does each and every week, and he will do this week from France of all places, and uh, we do appreciate his contributions to the show. Uh, the other guys I'd like to thank for their contributions to the show, one of them being Spiker Helms, who's not with me this week. He's uh, out of town on some business for the next two weeks, so I'll be flying solo. And uh, we've got a, an interesting series uh, tagged for the next go-around here. Obviously, we're kind of finishing up some uh, perfect game uh, information, as, again, I was just so intrigued by my trip down there that uh, in realizing how important it was and how big a role it does play, in the recruitment process uh, for colleges, but then, of course, uh, for some players, even with the pro level, I was just so intrigued by it and so impressed by it that I wanted to have some conversations about it. And it's been great because there's been a lot of back and forth on this. And I think there's some misconception out there. I also think there's just some general, um, you know, opinions. And sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not so good. But And that's fine because, again, we've said it once and we'll say it again, the only way you can really – do anything about any of this stuff as far as a, a positive influence on it is to talk about it and try to figure out a way to make it work for everybody involved. So, again, I'm pretty excited about uh, about this series, and I have enjoyed the back-and-forth conversation with everybody, you know, whether they agree or disagree with what we're saying because, uh, you know, it's opened my eyes to a few of the concerns that people have for this. But, again, I think uh, in the end uh, I understand it, and, I, and, I, and I'm trying to – provide the different looks you know we've done the you know the the parent view which i thought was great we heard from perfect game themselves uh, this week of course i'm looking forward to the episode as i'm going to bring you a guy that uh, everybody thinks very highly of on the show and that's justin stone from EliteBaseball.tv. justin runs one of the best programs in the country he's one of the most respected uh, influencers within the game of baseball in general much less youth or prep baseball uh, Justin's very good at uh, what he does. Um, again, as I say, he is extremely respected in the community. And uh, he's got some thoughts on Perfect Game and what it means and, and what it is, basically, in his opinion. Everybody's opinion is just that, their opinion. Uh, I, I'm anxious to hear his thoughts as I've got a few things 
um, that I've put together to ask him, kind of based off some of the feedback I've gotten so far, plus a couple other things that, as I listen to the shows, I realize that I do want to hear. So um, very happy to uh, have everybody uh, back for today's show and, and, and just interested to hear what Justin has to say. Uh, before we do that, we want to remind everybody to check us out at youthbaseballtalk.com. That is our website. It's also where you can subscribe to the show. You'll get a notification by doing that every time we release the show. It's absolutely free, and it does help you stay up to date with what we're doing over here at Youth Baseball Talk. Um, very happy to have everybody involved with us on Twitter, uh, at Podcast Baseball. Our ask there is that you like or our, our, our follow us on Twitter. And share some stuff around, especially when you see us share the show through Twitter. Our ask of you is that you then in turn share that show so that other people involved in your world of youth baseball, prep baseball, college baseball, whatever it may be, may be able to find the show and get involved. And that's ultimately at the end of the day what we're looking for. Facebook's the same way. Simply type in Youth Baseball Talk. Our ask is that you follow us on Facebook. Uh, Jump in some of the posts. Uh, happy to hear your comments. Happy to have the discussions with you through there. But our ask of you once again is if you see the show pop up on your timeline when we share the actual episode, if you would just share that on your timeline, again, it's the only way we know of to try to reach more and more people out there within the baseball community. Our assumption is is that if you're involved in baseball, you you're probably have a, a network of friends that are involved as well that you're friends with on Facebook. So this is our way of asking you to help us reach out to them as well. You guys have done great with that, and it is uh, very appreciated by everyone here at Youth Baseball Talk. Uh, very happy to be a part of lineupmedia.fm, the fastest-growing podcast company on the planet. Uh, you're obviously into podcasting, so I would encourage you to check out lineupmedia.fm. As I assure you, there'll be other podcasts there that you'll really enjoy. Uh, for instance, Pete Caliendo, my good friend, does baseball outside the box. Pete's traveled all over the world with youth baseball and has seen and done some amazing things. He has great guests that have different uh, opinions on the game and just things that can genuinely help you uh, as you seek information to avoid pitfalls, to try to have the best experience you can have within this game. And Pete does a phenomenal job. So make sure you check out Baseball Outside the Box. Special thanks, of course, to Brian Kroc, my producer, who puts the whole show together and makes it sound like it, uh, it's at least done somewhat professionally. So I do appreciate him for sure. Uh, the contributors, the weekly guys each and every week make the show go, and without them, I could not do it. Uh, this weekly contributor, of course, uh, brings you the EliteBaseball.TV training tip of the week, and everybody is is always looking forward to it. There's been a couple times where you know we haven't had him or, or whatever, and it's amazing the amount of people that are like, man, I look forward to my, my tip of the week from Justin. So, uh, again, I know everybody realizes what an important person he is w- within the baseball community. Uh, you know, he's a guy that has definitely been there and done that. You know, he, you know, he talks the talk and walks the walk. So, um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very honored to have him as a part of this each and every week. And that's why, uh, you know, when reaching out, I thought, you know, he's heavily involved in this amongst other things. I'm really, really curious to get his take on how he approaches perfect game, both as a coach, as a club owner, and how he would, uh, I guess for lack of a better description, how he would recommend parents in his club to approach Perfect Game and what it does for their athlete. Let's welcome him live from Chicago with his EliteBaseball.TV training. Uh, Justin Stone, what's going on? I'm enjoying a beautiful uh, early fall day here. So it's uh, this is the best time of year for us for baseball weather, so we've been out getting after it on the field quite a bit. You know, I was going to ask you before we get to the perfect game stuff, obviously your role, you had a little bit of a role this year with the Chicago Cubs. Um, 
you know, as this season has progressed, are, are you kind of keeping track with some of the things you, you were able to do and, and how it's gone so far? Yeah. Um, in fact, I had a conference call with him yesterday uh, about some things that we'll talk about and implement in fall instructional league. So that'll just, that, you know, that's going to be around the corner here in a couple of weeks. I'll be off in Arizona and uh, collaborating and consulting with uh, their hitting guys. And, you know, I think that what they try to do, and I'll give the Cubs a lot of credit for it, is surround themselves with like-minded people that challenge the status quo. If they feel like they can learn something that's going to benefit their organization, they want to have an opportunity to, to talk or interact with those type of people. So I'll just kind of be a fly on the wall and interject as needed and, and we'll learn something myself. And that's, uh, that's the positive it from my professional standpoint is I get to be surrounded by great professionals as well. Well, again, I, you know, obviously as your brand itself, uh, which is, you know, really you and your knowledge and everything you do over there with Travis, as you guys continue to grow your brand and, and what you do with baseball players, uh, you said something to me when I one of the time one of the first times I had met you, and that was you know we were talking about my older son and you had brought up marketing your son and really at the end of the day that's what you're doing. Um, you had said to me that you can't sit around and wait for somebody else to do it. You kind of have to get involved in it. And too many people think everybody else is supposed to be doing it. One of the tools that you and I talked a little bit about that day, and it was the first time I ever really had a conversation about it, was Perfect Game. Uh, now, obviously, uh, Perfect Game, uh, I didn't didn't play a very big role in my older son, and that was, in hindsight, maybe shame on me. Uh, but it has started to already play somewhat of a role in my younger son as he begins his journey. I uh, wanted to ask you a little bit about Perfect Game uh, and kind of that statement you made to me that day, because I know that you're you know, heavily involved. You use it as a tool, I would assume, as would be a great description. And you correct me anytime I'm wrong here, but... Really wanted to ask you your thoughts on Perfect Game as just one of the tools to market a player. Well, I think the, the biggest thing is Perfect Game is a national brand. And what it's been able to do for our organization as well as every organization across the country is take what used to be regional prospects and make them national prospects. Now think about that. But what that does is open yourself up for maybe 25 to 50 schools in your region to 500 to 1,000 schools nationally. And that's Perfect Game's ability to bring the best talent to one central location. The facilities make it very easy for a college coach just to hunker down and see a multitude of great talent. So it brings the coaches in, which in turn brings the best players. But at the same time, if a coach from UCLA is, has interest or has heard the name of one of our players in Illinois – he may not get the opportunity to see that player, but maybe a flash, a glimpse once. However, with the objective data that Perfect Game does put on their website and market the players, it is a way to cross-check that with a third party that is reputable. So there's where you go into making what used to be regional prospects. In the digital age, everybody can be a national prospect through an outlet like Perfect Game. You know, uh I, I get this feeling a little bit. That sounded like a pretty good commercial. Right I was going to say, that was pretty good. Like that. Yeah, Perfect Game may want to give you a call. <laughs> that was pretty good. Um, well, it, it, well, and that's the thing, is some of this, at the end of the day, being realistic about what it is versus what you want it to be. And the reason I say that is, you know, I, I believe this after talking to people. I really do think it irritates some people that recruiters pay so much attention to Perfect Game. It's almost like I feel... 
that people want to still be able to say, if you're good enough, they'll find you. Now, while I believe that that may be true, maybe for the top few percent of players, I don't know that that's necessarily true anymore, is it? No. it's uh, You can take that approach and say, well, I'm just going to let those guys find me. And that will happen for the very top 1% that don't need a lot of recruiting aid anyway. Uh, you know, it's not hard for a scout to, to hear about the word of a 90-mile-per-hour arm in their region. And word spreads around baseball quicker than it does at a seventh-grade locker room. It's, uh, it spreads like wildfire. But what a perfect game aids is that mid-major player, that fringe Division One player that maybe – gets pushed behind a couple of higher profile athletes on their travel club or, you know, a division or two or division three athlete that maybe going to a school that doesn't have as big of a recruiting budget. That's the, the player that it really aids in getting their name out there in a very quick manner. Well, and, you know, some of the things that have come up, like on the negative side of perfect game, people are, I was talking to Darren Sutton, and I know you're familiar with Darren, we talked a little bit yeah. about the book that Jeff Passan wrote, and I had told him, and this was kind of my opinion, I had read the book, Jeff had sent it to me, and he wanted to come on the show. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't have Jeff on because I kind of felt like Jeff took a shot at them and didn't take the thing all the way. It almost, I, I almost feel like he went the, the least past of resistance for the information that he should have went and got, and he thought, you know what, I'm going to throw a perfect game on this. It's going to help me sell some books. So I was – because to me – there's a lot of problems in youth baseball, and that's where this starts. It's the amount of rest and the overthrowing of the kids, and the, they throw three times in a weekend and stuff like that. The perfect game thing to me and the velocity, I don't really know how you – I don't know if it's something you fix, but people want these kids to not throw hard, but these kids want to throw hard. And at the end of the day, they're doing what they got to do to have their moment in time. I mean, where do you see that all kind of fitting in this problem, or is it a problem at all? Well, I, I think I, I wouldn't call it a problem. I think the athletes in the age of better technology and better training are just getting stronger at a much younger age. I know in our own program we've had guys that are 15 years old that aren't shaving yet that throw 88 miles an hour. And it, when young bodies are growing, there is a higher risk of performance injuries those type of players that's just common knowledge you know it's my volkswagen beetle will run forever very little maintenance but if i'm if i'm driving a race car um, i may not have the same durability in that although the performance of it's going to be much higher it needs a lot more maintenance and that's basically what it is it's educating the player and this is perfect game has has gone and reached players and families to educate them on how much they should be doing, which is why they put the pitch smart guidelines in their tournaments now. But it's really up to the individual and the parents to decide when am I shutting down or the coaches to educate the parents to decide when they're shutting down uh, and when they should be throwing. You can't fault perfect game for providing opportunities throughout the year that some players on different throwing schedules are able to do. It doesn't mean you should be doing them all. Like the kids in California are playing a different schedule than what our kids are in Illinois. They shut down at different times because they're playing at different times. So just because there is an event out there doesn't mean we have to attend every event. It's just using um, your own smarts and as well as getting educated by the professionals you're dealing with in your travel program or in a coaching setting 
to help guide you through your own personal schedule and how that fits your own body uh, and your own performance goals. Well, you know, again, I I don't know why people are so defensive about the velocity thing. That That intrigues me to no end when it comes to the role in this whole thing is it now you tell me if i'm on to something here if i'm crazy if i'm wrong you tell me but is this sometimes one of these deals where like i'm i'm not going to say sour grapes but i I, i'll use myself i I won't use anybody else but if, if because my kid doesn't throw hard do i i guess subconsciously try to diminish what throwing hard means because my son can't do it you know like that whole well yeah my son only throws 82 but all he does is get people out but nobody wants to talk to him is that maybe what Mm -hmm. this is more about i don't know i mean obviously we can't speak for people but that's what it feels like well velocity just makes the margin of error much smaller for for the hitter and when you have that player that's 81, 83 and gets out, there's a, pl- there's a place for that player in college baseball for sure. However, they don't have any margin of error. So what happens, has to happen is they have to locate every single pitch, have tremendous movement, because as soon as you make a mistake at 81, 83, it gets hammered. You make a mistake at 90 to 92, there's still pretty good chance on the pitcher side that uh, the odds are still in his favor. So velocity has always been and was the first – uh, you know, marketable as well as objective scouting um, tool that you know people would use. It's it's harder to to scout a position player because of the subjectivity to it. Now that's starting to change too as we get more objective numbers into the offensive side of the game. But forever, a scout had a radar gun and he had a stopwatch. So the objective tool of speed for a runner, um, which you know is important, but isn't the biggest tool of an offensive player in terms of importance, but the velocity of a pitcher is. And that's the easiest one to look at a number and say, okay, if there was 90, so you go back on the scouting side too. 90 is safe because you go into, and this could be a, a controversial way to, to say things too, but there's probably a lot of truth to it. If a scout goes in and drafts a guy that throws 90-plus miles an hour and that player fails, the scout is comfortable and there's nothing necessarily on his shoulders that says, well, you know, he threw 90-92. He had the tool, so it's up to the player to development to make this player succeed. Or the intangibles of this player weren't good enough. He got caught up in something that, you know, didn't allow him to go through the system. However, if a scout drafts a guy that throws 83 to 85 and that player fails, people are going to go back to that scout and say, what the hell are you doing? You know, this guy threw 83-85. Who do you think he was going to get an out? So their name is on the line a lot greater for that type of player. And that goes a long way in jobs that turn over quite a bit. And, you know, there's not always safety in any job in big league baseball. So I think that's where the 90-mile-an-hour the mark has become so powerful. It's very safe for college recruiters. It's very safe for – um, scouts that have to report to somebody to say, well, this guy throws hard enough to be successful. Um, you know, I'm just curious, last thing, I'll, you know, before I know we're up against time for you today, but as far as perfect game goes, I, I want to look at it, too, from the actual uh, coaches in college, uh, the, how good it is for them. Now, do you think, and, and I guess you can be honest here, do you think they put too much emphasis on just getting on a website and looking at numbers? Or is the piece that we miss, and this is kind of what I found out, nobody 
probably. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna say never, but I doubt anybody's getting on perfect game. Seeing that this guy has all these major numbers, and then just, hey, you want to come for a visit and offer him? They're going to see him play and try to make sure that everything they see matches with what they see on a website. Is that not correct? Well, it's very minimum of a video. You know, there, there'll be times where you would bring maybe a pitcher uh, that has numbers. You see the video, and you can see arm action pretty easily from a video or body type or whatever, and then ask somebody to come on a visit, sure. Um, the reputation of somebody scouting that would recommend a player could go that far as well. But yeah, the, the eye test still has to be passed. The objective numbers are important. That'll, that's the teaser. That'll get your foot in the door. But we've had players with very, very good objective numbers that would you think would match up to a Power 5 conference that it just didn't happen for for a variety of different other reasons. Either they didn't pass the eye test. There was something that wasn't there on the academic side or the social side. So there are a lot of pieces that make up the final and holistic student athlete. And and don't think that colleges aren't looking at every single one of those aspects because they are. Yeah. uh, You know, and again, I I don't know if um, I don't quite know if people understand. And and last thing, the other thing on that website that's important is, you know, it it a big thing for colleges, which a lot of people want to ignore when they start talking about what a recruitable player is. That little line there that has your GPA and your uh, ACT score are very important in this process, and that's a big thing with Perfect Game as well. Would you not agree? Yeah, the, with the academic requirements by the NCAA now, um, I mean, you can get scholarships taken away if your guys aren't performing in the classroom. Nobody wants that to happen because that's going to you know, reflect upon your club and how many games you win and ultimately your job as a coach. So. That plus the 11.7 maximum for a particular school means if you can stack academic money on top of athletic money, you're, you know, you're weighing the, the favorite into your team's side, being that you could get possibly 15 to 18 scholarships for your club, for those 30 guys, if you can get some academic guys in there as well. So everybody is searching for that. That's just going to open more doors for you. Uh, and I know that's something that's important that college coaches are looking at on that website as well. Well, I know uh, I know you're up against time today and, and took uh, just a few minutes you had and gave it to us, so I do appreciate it very much. Again, uh, hearing from guys like you who use Perfect Game as just a tool, um, you know, before you go, if you have any advice for any parents out there, there or clubs in the role that Perfect Game, in, in the role that you feel that Perfect Game should play in that, uh, give us a quick just piece of advice on the role that perfect game should be playing in that process. Well, I think it's just putting yourself up against the very best in the country. I think everybody as a parent or even as a travel club owner or manager wants to know where they stack up against everybody else. You think, you know, I'm the best player in my high school. I'm the best player in my town. And you don't know necessarily how big the baseball world really is until you're surrounded by everybody in the amateur baseball world. And that's exactly what a perfect game event is. So that can validate that I'm a really, really good player. And that can springboard a guy with great confidence and, and put them in a, a scouting realm. As I said to you earlier, that the baseball world is so small and interconnected. A guy can go from obscurity to a, a high round potential draft pick and just a, an event or two. It, it happens that quickly. Um, but on the other hand, it can also motivate kids to say, there's a lot of good players out there. And just because I'm the best one in this five-square-mile radius 
I better keep working because there, there was 35 of me at this tournament at my position. So I think it plays a, a, a dual role there that just lets people know, where do you stand amongst your peers in the baseball, amateur baseball community? Well, I appreciate it greatly. And like I said, I know you took just a few minutes of uh, lunchtime you probably had before you got back in a cage yeah. to spend with us. So no, no problem. I do appreciate Anytime it. For you, Dick. Well, no, I appreciate it. And uh, we're going to hear from you here in just a few minutes. But if you want to remind everybody uh, uh, where they can find you and, and what they can do. And I got a great story that I was going to tell um, before your episode today, but had the opportunity to talk to an actual chiropractor. Um, that coaches a baseball team, and he was telling me a bunch of stuff about functional movement and things like that, and I turned him on to EliteBaseball.tv, and he is just so impressed with the the way you work with the body and not just, hey, just do this, do that. It was pretty impressive stuff. Well, thanks. That's uh, actually the, the call I had with the Cubs yesterday is about some of the, the things I was doing with our college guys this summer that goes back to you can't have a one system, one size fits all for, for hitting mechanics and you have to tailor it to the athlete. And what I'm coming up with right now is an assessment, um, a guide that I can now tailor mechanics to the player based on some, some body weight exercises, more or less that will identify muscle biases, um, and being able to fit swing mechanics to a particular player. So we're pretty excited about that. And, um, you know, we're going to pick the brain of the very best. The Cubs won the World Series last year, so I'll see what they think about it here in September. Well, my friend, I appreciate you. And again, I know we're going to hear from you here in just a few more minutes with your uh, weekly uh, uh, weekly segment, which I know our listeners do appreciate. So thanks again for taking your time and devoting it as much as you can to youth baseball. All right. Thanks, Jim. That is uh, the great, and I do say the great, Justin Stone, as he uh, as he joins us each and every week with his EliteBaseball.tv training tip of the week. I can't thank him enough for all of his uh, all of his support of our show. It, it means a lot to us to have what I would call reputable and um, sincere guys that are very well thought of to provide information and try to get it to you guys so that you can use it in whichever way uh, you see fit and, and hopefully just piques your interest a little bit so that you – that you get out there and research what you're doing a little bit. We can't have enough great people in the game, and Justin's certainly one of them. Uh, before we get to his tip of the week, we're going to make sure to remind you to check out the ropetrainer.com. Uh, our good friends Earl Perrin, John Smolch, Chris Verna, they do a great job of making sure that uh, these arms are put in a position to try and stay healthy. So make sure you check out the ropetrainer.com. Okay, going to take a second here to uh, to remind you to check out, once again, EliteBaseball.tv. It's, of course, where you can find uh, – Find Justin and Travis and all the gang over there doing great things for kids and uh, prep players, minor league players, college players, pro players. They're spending an awful lot of time out there trying to help everybody do the best job they can do. Um, I uh, I think that uh, without without fail that we can always count on him to give us something positive each and every week. Uh, let's hear from Justin right now with his EliteBaseball.tv training tip of the week, and we'll see you afterwards. Thanks, Jim. Justin Stone here with EliteBaseball.tv coming to you with the tip of the week. Every new player that I get that comes in the cage with me to hit, I always ask them what their intention is and what are they trying to do. What are they trying to get out of this lesson? By far, the number one answer, as you think through it in your mind right now, you can probably guess it, power. Today I'm going to discuss three things that make up power in a swing. And I'm not talking about timing or just the, the solid ball-back collision. We know those things have to happen to max flight a ball. But things that have to happen within your own body produce power. Number one, the ability to get into 
and maintain a lower body load and what that means. The lower body is the engine of your swing, without a doubt. Think of it as a bicycle. This is the crank and the pedals. Unfortunately, most youth players want to power that bike with the handlebars. And they do the same thing in the swing. They're trying to power the bat with their upper body, arms, and shoulders. Because they're holding the bat in their hands, they want to use those muscles closest to their hands to power the swing. The biggest engine in the swing is, of course, our legs. So we have to load them correctly and then maintain that load in order to create power from the ground. And that goes to something you've heard me talk about a number of times, getting into my instep with ground pressure, and you're going to feel the load in two places there, the inside of my quad and the outside of my hip. So essentially, we're loading the big bone of the leg. We're loading the femur. We're loading all the way up the leg into the hip. But even when players do that part correctly, so often they end up overloading, taking their head and torso backwards where their knee gets over the ankle instead of keeping the knee inside the ankle. Once this happens, the body has a sensation of going up and down. Essentially, I'm going to jump. So they end up going up in their next movement during the stride. Their back knee extends instead of staying flex, and they lose that previous energy. They lose their load. So not just getting into the ground with pressure, but maintaining it on bent knees out into their stride. Essentially, I'm landing in my base stealing stance. I'm landing in my basketball defensive stance because in those two things, I want the body in its most explosive athletic position. So I'm riding out on bent knees, feeling like I'm almost pushing the ground away from me with tremendous pressure. And that stored energy, that flexing of the legs is what we're gonna release into the ball once we rotate. So power first comes from the ability to get into and maintain a lower body load. Two, making sure we do start the swing from the legs, from the lower body, and this we call sequencing. Something else you've heard me talk about a number of times. This is the kinetic energy transfer from the legs, that engine going through the core, up the upper body, and out the arms. So what do we mean here? The body has to work in a specific pattern. The number of events has to happen where body parts work in a certain order to produce power. If it works from my legs, turning the core, and resisting in the upper body and shoulders through what we call a scapular load, that's essentially just keeping my hands back while my lower body is trying to fire. That pulling back of my upper body and resisting rotation with the torso stretches the core tremendously, getting greater energy transfer faster to the upper body, creating it into a whip-like motion that makes my torso rotate faster. So sequencing means my legs are powering the swing first, and my upper body tries to resist that rotation until the energy springs from my lower body, creating the whip of the upper body. Sequencing is something that has to be taught to most athletes. 99 out of 100 that come into a lesson with me for the first time are not in a correct sequence. And there's different reasons for that. Some is strength. Some is usually this is tempo. They're going too fast in their stride and they don't allow their body parts to work in that one, two, three order of legs, core, and then upper body. The faster it goes in the stride, typically it's like an opening and closing door where now we have upper body and lower body going together because they just didn't have time to load or resist their upper body. So sequencing has to happen slowly in the load stride process. But you've also heard me mention strengthening. And even with our youngest youth athletes, the third component of power is functional strength and flexibility. 
And this is something that you can work without a barbell that is necessary for all athletic movements that you can do with your son or daughter at the youngest of ages. I have my own five-year-old doing this, not because I'm forcing her as a crazy dad to be the, some super athlete. She likes to move. So if she likes to move and I'm a, and encourage her to do what she likes to do in sport or athletic movement, we're going to work on basic fundamental movements. And most of these happen on two legs and two arms working at the same time with some sort of a squat or a push-up. But really where you're going to see the functionality translate to a swing is the ability to do these things unilaterally, meaning I want to work on one arm one leg and do exercises as accessories that way too because the body will have bias it'll work as you heard me say in a previous post of gyms it'll work the strengthening portion of always shifting to the strongest side of the body and this happens so much in more in baseball and softball than any other sports because we're used to rotating and moving in one directional pattern only so it's something you have to address strengthening and flexibility. If you don't do that on your own, go in for a one-month program with a local strength and conditioning coach that can get you started on basic fundamental body weight movements and that is going to make you so much more competent and better not just in baseball and softball but every sport you play as well as healthier keeping you out of injury. So the three things that make up power, you can do these on your own. Got to get into and maintain a lower body load. Number two, sequencing of the swing, body parts working in a particular order. And finally, number three, functional strength and flexibility. And until next time, this is Justin Stone on EliteBaseball.tv where you can see all three of those segments in detail. Come visit us. We're free for 48 hours and we'll get you on your way to your most powerful version of your swing. Until next time, we'll see you on the field. Great stuff as always, and again, uh, I, I just I do I have to thank Justin as as he makes himself available to us on such short notice for today's episode, and then of course his continued uh, support by providing us with those tips each and every week. So, thanks again to him, as it means a lot to me, and it, I know it means a lot to you guys as well. Uh, now I want to hear from uh, our good friend Kurt McNabb. He uh, he sent his stuff in this week, which I thought was interesting for his uh, for his uh, rope report. And, you know, he, he, he's a passionate guy. If you know anything at all about Kurt, he takes baseball very seriously. But he is, you know, he and I are a lot alike in the life lessons having a lot to do with how the game of baseball is played. So when I get to talking to him off air or, or, or behind the scenes, whatever, I love his passion for the game. And I know he appreciates mine as well. This week he gets a little personal and he gets a little fired up on this one. So... Uh, I'm going to let Kirk do his best to tell you a little bit about the rope, baseball, and life in general. So let's hear from Kirk McNabb on the Rope Report as brought to you by theropetrainer.com. Kirk, take it away. Hello, Dirtbag Baseball Nation and members of the Rope Revolution. As you're aware, we've been invited to teach baseball to players and coaches over here in Paris, France for a month. I arrived last week, and Nolan and Braden have been over coaching and playing since the beginning of March. The rope trainer has been a big part of their throwing program already. I'm bringing in some new information and details on other ways of using the rope trainer for pitchers, catchers, and players in general. This past week, they gave us the opportunity to travel before starting our training program. Let me tell you, we visited unbelievable historical World War landmarks throughout the Normandy region like Omaha Beach, Vimy, and Pointe de Hoc. Let me tell you, players. Parents and coaches, you have no idea about struggles until you stand personally on these sites. We then went on to Belgium, 
and saw World War I sites, or in other words, the Great War, and cemeteries to go along with it, where there are countless grave sites of unknown soldiers, recognized soldiers, and soldiers who were only 18 years old or just over that and had been killed. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this on this rope report because I believe we need to be reminded that our worst days are nothing compared to what these men and women did for the world and all of us. I am humbled to say the least, but also very excited and pleased to be able to teach, instruct, and educate players and coaches about arm care and pitching properly by using their entire body every day because I'm totally dedicated to making this game the best possible for as many people as possible. I do get very upset when I hear about players, parents, and coaches crying and whining about really meaningless things at the end of the day. If you want to play this game, you need to work at it regularly because this game owes you nothing. I can help you, and the rope trainer can help you. But if you're not really committed to making yourself better, and you think you can just wake up in the morning and make excuses about this or that and cry when things don't go your way, you're wrong, and you'll never be considered a dirtbag. You need to wake up with a get-after-it, grind-it-out, make-no-excuses attitude every day. You also need to hold others in your life to this standard, and then you will be welcomed by the Dirtbag Baseball Nation. I've been lucky enough to travel a lot of places in the world so far and meet incredibly smart baseball people because I'm fully committed to the game and throwing in particular, and I truly never take a day for granted. We owe that to the game of baseball. We owe that to each other. That's why I want Dirtbag Baseball Nation, or that's what I want Dirtbag Baseball Nation to be all about. And most importantly, we can never forget how lucky we are to be able to play, coach, or watch this game because of those who paid the ultimate price for our freedom. This week, I was reminded once again of this very true fact, and I'm very proud to be leading all of you dirtbags. I don't want you to buy a rope trainer just to have it sit in the corner or in a bag collecting dust. I want dirtbags buying rope trainers because they want to be the best they can and go as far as they can in the game of baseball. I've been saying every week, pitching and throwing is our number one priority at Dirtbag Baseball Nation and the rope trainer. Helps us tremendously with being arm care specialists. I truly believe that every player should have their own rope trainer to help with their throwing. First off, you're training with the baseball which is what you use in a game or practice. The ropes are easy to attach and give you resistance during the throwing motion as well as give vital feedback to let you know you're using it correctly. You must extend and follow through properly so the ropes finish on your back when done your throw or pitch. Using the rope trainer forces you to activate muscles in your whole body naturally. And once you've been taught how to use it properly, you can train in a variety of ways depending on what position you play or if you're throwing in the bullpen. If you are interested in having me or one of my members come and talk or train your program or association, please contact us or myself at info at dirtbagbaseballnation.com. Again, that's info at dirtbagbaseballnation.com. It's what we do, so don't be on the outside looking in. France Baseball is stepping up and getting dirty with their throwing program, and I encourage you to do the same. If you already have your own rope trainer, you know what I'm talking about. Now it's just a matter of getting after it. And if you don't have your own rope trainer, you can get one by going to www.theropetrainer.com now. Be sure to enter Dirtbag, the number 5, 
dirtbag the number five at checkout so that we know you heard about it here on Youth Baseball Talk and the Rope Report. I'm Kirk McNabb, and that's all I have for this week's dirtbags or this week's episode, dirtbags. So keep following us on Facebook and Instagram at Dirtbag Baseball Nation. Again, that was at Dirtbag Baseball Nation. And on our website at www.dirtbagbaseballnation.com to find out what we're all what, what, what uh, sorry what all we offer. You can also email me directly with any questions or comments in regards to throwing or pitching. Again, at info at Dirtbag Baseball Nation. Until next week, please share the word about the Rope Report and Dirtbag Baseball Nation. And if you're playing or practicing, hit that field and get dirty. Great stuff as always. And again, I know you can hear the, uh, the the passion in his voice. And I do know that that's why a lot of you guys out there are sending in how much you're enjoying listening to Kirk. Just, you know, you're enjoying the rope report, but more than anything, you're just enjoying Kirk's passion for baseball. So special thanks to Kirk, Dirtbag, Baseball Nation. Make sure you check it out. He does such a great job. And again, we're very, very honored to have him as part of our show. Uh, the other gentleman that I love to hear from each and every week, and I know you do too, is Rick Strickland with his Ask Rick segment. Again, we're going to be changing this one up here real soon, but um, we're going to stay with this until we can get some time with Rick to to reformulate his episode. I know a lot of people really enjoyed when Rick used to give us some information about hitting and things like that. It's, it's really a specialty of his. So I think we're going to get back to doing some hitting stuff with Rick here soon. So until that time, though, we're going to stay with the Ask Rick segment. Uh, so here's Rick Strickland with uh, Rick Strickland Baseball, St. Louis Pirates Nation, and, of course, Blast Motion. Take it away, Rick. Hey, Jim. Rick Strickland again here. Glad to be back on the show again this week to talk to the audience and answer some pretty good questions that I get from week to week. And this week's question is a very good one. It's kind of uh, near to my heart because it's something that I talk about and train about every, uh, every day in our training process. And the question was, and uh, let me pull it up here real quick, it was um, Coach uh, had me explain why hitting a ball on the ground is a bad idea. I spent my whole adult life telling kids to hit it on the ground or ground and run I don't know necessarily if it's a bad idea it just depends on what you're trying to do with your player if you're playing amateur baseball or or, or CYC or uh, just recreational baseball with you know you're not trying to develop uh, the highest level of swing then if that's the way the game is being played then go ahead and play it that way but to hear a lot of people talking about that is people are spending money uh, uh, on private instruction as people are uh, trying to advance their career both in college and on to uh, professional ball, they're always searching for ways to improve on uh, technique and style and things of that nature. History has shown us that the best hitters in the game don't have a high ground ball rate. If you think about this, I remember when I was a young man uh, my hitting coaches, because I was very fast, told me to hit the ball on the ground. But when you do that, you don't really get an opportunity to develop uh, a high-level swing process, which is what you're going to have to have as you start to advance and play against high-level competition. And not just on the pitching on the mound, but also defensively. These kids that come over from the Dominican Republic down in South Florida are really, really good and astute at catching ground balls and position themselves defensively to catch the ball and throw you out. I don't think there's really been many human beings on this earth that have been able to go out and consistently outrun ground balls. Just not, just not that way. A lot of times the way we've taught the game because of, uh, because of youth baseball, usually if you put the ball in play on the ground um, hard or weak, your chances of getting on base 
uh, were extremely high just because the competition you were playing weren't very good. But that just simply doesn't hold water as you advance yourself and you start playing against better and better competition. You better get to the point where you can hit the ball uh, either between people and more likely over people. When you think of what pitchers are being taught, pitchers are being taught to keep the ball down, get the ball on the ground. That gives their chances for the defenders to keep the ball in front of them, which gives them the best chances of, of, of making a defensive play. Pitchers don't want to live in the air. Balls that are lined, uh, line drives or balls that are struck well with launch angles of 20 degrees and above are really danger spots for the pitcher. Last year, um, and I think over the last couple of years, they've come up with a stat in the MLB called the barrel ball. And barrel ball is basically balls that are hit at 24 launch angle at 95 or 98 miles an hour and above. Uh, you hit 650 with those balls and you slug 1500. Uh, c compared to the person that hits the ball on the ground a lot. So if you're developing a high-level swing, the body's natural sequence is to put the ball on a, uh, on a line drive plane, not actually to swing down on it. You really, when you're swinging down on balls and trying to hit balls, you're really having to do something that are biomechanically inefficient with your swing. And when, you, when that happens, it does affect uh, your ability to, uh, to make hard, consistent contact. So... Jim, as usual, I'm, I'm here. I love the questions. Keep them coming in. But if you want to develop the highest level swing, the ball needs to get off the ground and on a line drive. And if you're strong enough to be able to drive that ball as hard as you can through the air. That's what the best players in the game, that's what the best players in the history of game have done, is hit the ball in the air. I was thinking about this today. You know, people were talking about Mickey Mantle. Every time you see Mickey Mantle, if you can think about a video clip of Mickey Mantle uh, hitting the ball, it wasn't on the ground. It was in the air. So when we think about it subconsciously and we think about great players, we don't think about them in terms of hitting the ball on the ground. We think about them in terms of, of hitting line drives and being able to hit the ball out of the park. And that's just the way the game is played. That's where the statistics says the game needs to be played from the offensive standpoint, along with making contact, not necessarily swinging for home runs, but being able to get the sweet spot of the bat on playing. But that's what's going to make you a better hitter and give you the best, the highest chances of getting a hit. Hopefully this answers some questions. Keep them coming. Look forward to next week's show, Jim. Great stuff as always. Again, I, uh, I say it all the time. I'm honored and blessed to have such a great uh, crew of people to, um, to try and put this thing out and make it just really at the end of the day so that, it's, uh, so that it all works. And, and, again, I cannot thank everybody enough in, in for everything they do. Um, happy to have the rope trainer as our, as our, you know, just our biggest supporter. And, again, we're happy to support them. Happy to put make them a part of baseball training everywhere. Make sure you check out the ropetrainer.com. Of course, John Smoltz says everyone should have one from big leaguers to little leaguers. If you're new to the show, I would encourage you to go back and listen to some of the back episodes. Make sure you check out the one with Chris Verna where he actually talks about some of the scientific data, some of the things that they've done to show why the rope is so essential in helping your player with their throwing. So, again, appreciate them greatly. I'm uh, – I'm very, very happy, again, to have them part of the show, just as I am Justin Stone with EliteBaseball.tv, Rick Strickland, and, of course, Kirk McNagg from Dirtbag Nation. I hope you guys are uh, enjoying the perfect game thing. Again, uh, you know, I think I'm finding that there's just some people out there, it's not their cup of tea, and that's fine. I I am curious, and I love having some some conversations. Does it just not fit in with who your player is? And that might be true. And I don't really have an issue with that. It makes me wonder if there shouldn't be something out there for maybe what we would consider to be um, 
you know, non, you know, for lack of a better description, maybe non-Division One athletes. I think people associate perfect game with Division One. I, I, I don't know that that's necessarily true either, and that's going to be the thing that I'm going to search for in the last uh, last part last portion of the perfect game series that we're doing here. So uh, my goal is the next week be able to attack that portion of this, you know, almost as if to say, is perfect game for everybody or just a Division One athlete? And I think that's the angle I'm going to try to tackle next week. So I look forward to hearing from you on that one again. Uh, my good friend Jet Spiker Helms will be back with us in two weeks. He had sent me a really great article that I think is going to be our next tackle, so to speak. Um, I saw my good friend Darren Hendrickson from St. Louis University text us out as well. You know, and, and the title was very simple. It's a great article, How Kids Sports Became a $15 Billion Industry. I know that leaves a sore taste in a lot of people's mouths. Uh, I actually embrace it in, in, in because I'm still a believer. All this stuff is what you make it, and it's really up to you at the end of the day to do so. So I put the onus on us. So I'm in, I'm intrigued by this. I know Spiker has some thoughts. I think I'm going to try to get Coach Hendrickson in here to discuss his thoughts on that article because he is such a level-headed, like, voice of reason when it comes to this stuff for a guy that's in such a capacity as he is. you got to remember, he coaches a Division One baseball team that is taxed with trying to win. He throws batting practice around the greatest players in the world for the St. Louis Cardinals. But yet he has two sons that he's trying to navigate through this. I love it when he comes on, so I'm going to try to get him involved in that as well. I hope you guys enjoy it. Special thanks again to lineupmedia.fm for all their support. We ask you to check us out on Twitter, at Podcast Baseball. Check us out on Facebook simply by typing in Youth Baseball Talk. And please subscribe to the show through youthbaseballtalk.com. Thanks again to our producer, Brian Crock, For my co-host, Spiker Helms, who's not with me this week, we will see you guys on the field. Tune in next week for another edition of Youth Baseball Talk. Subscribe and leave a rating and review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to the show. Find us online at youthbaseballtalk.com, facebook.com slash youthbaseballtalk, or on Twitter at Podcast Baseball. Plus, check out all of our podcasts at lineupmedia.fm. This podcast was a presentation of lightupmedia.fm.